anything, we invite you in the future. We're not doing it this Sunday. We're going to plan things, but we would invite you to just stay. And then I'll be upstairs, and we'll have an evening time to be able to just pray together, share together, and do some Bible study together uh, here in the building rather than just leaving uh, and having to come back uh, to pick your kids up. So pray for that as we're ma- making that movement. But parents, just know your kids were trying to be done by 7.15 so that we can help get them home and out. And then finally, let me say grief share. I know some of you, it's not in person now. It's going to be online still. Our church has always taken a part in the grief share program. If you have gone through grief, experiencing the loss of a loved one or something else that has caused grief, you realize sometimes how hard it is to actually work through that. And we have, I know Brenda and Jack and others will be helping lead that. And we would love for you to be a part of it. So if you're here and we don't even know it, but you know you're experiencing some hard steps working through things, we're saying to you, please don't try to do it alone. Join up with others who have experienced that same grief and let us share that together as we go forward. And so we encourage you to be a part of that uh, as well. So you'll see the other announcements. We appreciate everybody as we continue praying going forward here this fall. Uh, But let's take a moment as we go forward. If you'll stand with me, if you're able, let me call us to worship. As we continue here this morning, it comes right out from the book of Acts chapter 24. But this I confess to you, I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. We're here to worship because we believe the truth, and we know that he reveals that truth to us in Scripture. And so join us as we sing this morning, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim it, hymn number 701. Thank you. 
faith in our beliefs. There we go. <laughs> and we've been using the Westminster Larger Catechism. And this morning we will be looking at the seventh commandment. Allow me to read the question and together we'll respond with the answer. What is the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. What does the seventh commandment require? The seventh commandment requires us to be pure in body, mind, inclinations, words, and actions, and to maintain that purity in ourselves and others. We are to monitor what we look at as well as what we experience with our other senses. And we are to live temperately, keeping pure company and dressing modestly. Those who cannot control their desire should marry, loving and living together with their spouses. We should also work hard at whatever we are called to do, avoiding all opportunities for indecency and resisting any temptation to say, think, or do, indecent or obscure. What particular sins does the Seventh Commandment forbid? The Seventh Commandment forbids adultery, fornication, and all unnatural desires, all impure imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and inclinations, all corrupt and nasty talk, or listening to such lewd books, shameless or frivolous behavior, and immodest dress, prohibiting lawful marriage and allowing unlawful ones, restrictive vows of celibacy, unnecessary delays in marrying, having more than one wife or husband at the same time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, and keeping impure company, obscene or pornographic songs, books, pictures, dancing, or theoretical presentations, and all other encouragement to or indulgence in impure activities by us or others. May we examine ourselves in light of this commandment. As we go to prayer this morning, and as our custom, I would ask you to join me when we close the prayer, and together let us pray the Lord's Prayer. And as we do go to prayer this morning and prepare our hearts for God's word from Pastor Jerry, hear these words as recorded in the gospel as recorded by Luke. 16th chapter. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all the things Jesus had been saying, and they ridiculed him. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you are willing to hear your people call upon you from any place, at any time, 
with any need or desire or concern, you bid us to open our hearts to you. The Lord, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees of his time, saying, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And the truth of this saying is all around us. We have but to look and mark the ways in which we also set our affections. Riches and honor, station in life, and pleasure are but a few. But what is exalted among men is an abomination in your sight. And Lord, we often seek our own glory instead of yours. We crave comfort, good reputations, financial gain, safety, significance, and love. We want to believe that we are the smartest, the best, the wisest, the strongest, and the most spiritual people. We compete with one another in order to feel superior. And we trample each other with our pride and our determination to succeed. Lord, in all honesty, we often never seek you with our whole heart. We don't pray the way we should. We don't read our Bibles the way we should. We don't live the way we should. We don't repent daily. And somehow faith in the new good news of our Savior just seems to pass us by. Because we daily pursue our own desires with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Heavenly Father, this morning we pray, forgive us for our relentless self-love and worship of self. Fill our hearts and minds with the reality of Christ's loving pursuit of us so that we learn to love him more each day, to love him more than our pathetic idols, and to have an unshakable confidence in his finished work and care for us. Whose words, after all, are true? Whose judgment will stand at that last day? By whose standard will we all be tried? Before whose bar of justice will the opinions of the world be tested and tried? Your word, Heavenly Father, returns the answer. The counsel of the Lord, it shall stand forever. The word of Christ, it alone shall judge at that last day. And by that word, may we measure everything. For it matters not what people say, but rather what saith the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer. And Lord, uphold your flock as only you can. And your love and mercy grant to each according to your perfect will. Draw unto yourself any here that may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And may thy spirit rest upon Pastor Jerry as he proclaims thy word in the worship service this day. And bless our tithes and offerings.
till the building of thy kingdom. And now, Lord, we wait a glory that will be revealed in us, the glory of the Father's adoption, the glory of Christ's atonement, the glory of the Holy Spirit's regeneration, radiating from poor fallen sinners just, just as we, but sinners that are redeemed, renewed, and glorified. Thanks be to God. And Father, we pray now the prayer our Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Ushers, please come forward.
You'll remain standing and look in your bulletin as we prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Let's sing together no matter how we come, broken, wounded, and needing to be healed. Let's sing together. You'll find it there in your bulletin.
we continue, look in your bulletin there as we come broken to pray and confess our sins together to the Father. So if you would pray with me. Father, we confess our own miserable state to you and acknowledge your mercy toward us. We open our hearts to you so that you will free us wholly, so we may cease to be wretched in ourselves and may find our happiness in you. Therefore, we acknowledge our sin before you. In so many ways, we have failed you. Could anything of ours remain hidden from you, even if we refuse to confess it? Forgive us for every failure to be what you have called us to be, what the Lord Christ saved us to be, and what we ourselves desire to be for your sake. Forgive us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we find assurance of pardon in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I don't know how many times you've been there. I don't know how many times you've knelt down and fell prostrate, but he's there, and I would encourage you to wait. Continue to wait for him. Let's sing together. I'll wait for you as we prepare our hearts.
Amen. You may be seated, and thanks again to our music team for leading us and preparing us, and we invite you, uh, whether you want to sing here on Sunday mornings with the team or whether you want to sing in a choir, I know they're going to be starting choir up, and I know the men's choir is going to be starting up, and uh, we're just encouraging you to be a part of any of that in which you can be so that you can help bless us as we gather together. I do want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. We've been looking at Mark's account of what Jesus was doing there amongst the sea. And as he's rotated from the Jewish to Gentile territory, he now brings us to the second half of chapter 5. Now, I know normally you can take four or five verses, six or seven, and there's a lot there to unpack, but I don't want to tear these stories apart. And so I know last week and this week they're longer. I'll try to bring the points about quickly, but let me begin by reminding you, Jesus has come to this world and went through all kinds of issues that people were facing. Last week in chapter 5, Mark brings it to a head when people were caught with all kinds of chaos, and how do we handle that? This morning, he gives us more stories and accounts of what happens when the chaos, the things we don't understand, turn into crisis, things we do understand things we know what we're going through, and we just don't have an answer. And maybe this morning, that's where you are. Maybe you find yourself not in the midst of chaos, but in the midst of crisis. You realize the truth. You know what's going on. You just don't have an answer for it. You don't know how to fix it, and you don't know how to go forward. And this morning, Mark challenges us that it all comes to faith. He's been doing it for the last several stories, but here in chapter 5, in the last part of it, he moves on from this demon-possessed man and all the chaos he was facing to an interesting two stories wrapped together in one in the Greek. Now, you may not see that in the English because it just flows as a story, but Mark has taken the story of Jairus' daughter and wrapped into the midst of it as he has done in his synchronistic English texting, and took another story that seems to have not happened at the exact same time, as you'll see if you go back and look at the Greek, but he inserts the two stories together as one. It's amazing. He's wanting us to get a picture of how Jesus handled these two situations, not necessarily back-to-back, be yet in his mind for this purpose. Listen to what happens. Verse 21, when Jesus crossed over again to the boat on the other side, a large crowd gathering around him, and he stayed by the seashore, and one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And then Mark changes to what is known as an aorist tense, which is a past tense of an ongoing story that's been in the making. And he says this, while he was leaving with Jairus and this crowd, and I'm sure he puts them together, he says, a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years And endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his 
cloak seven participle phrases saying you could read this as she had been suffering and she had been going through trials and she had seen every doctor and she had spent every last dime and she had nowhere else to go and she had no answer to her prayers and she had already decided there was nothing left to do. That's the context that Mark inserts this story. For she had been saying to herself, if I could just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing on you, and you say to us, Who touched me? And he looked around to see a woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, only time in the Gospels that Jesus ever calls somebody daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. And then he picks back up the present indicative imperatives as he goes along and changes back to a stance when he says, while he was speaking, people came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died, why bother the teacher further? And Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, which is the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official And he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And after entering, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all outside, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was in bed. And taking the child by hand, he said to her, Talitha kum which is translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astonished, and he gave them strict orders that no one was to know about this, and he told them to have something given her to eat. I know the text is a lot, and there's not a lot for you to see, but what Mark is doing is wrapping up the whole teaching of faith. He has started out very beginning when we saw people going through all kinds of disease or disasters, if you wish. You can write these down if you want, but Jesus has been on this journey in Mark's account of healing people, that whether it's been a disaster, demons, disease, or death, there's only one person who can help in any of those cases help you to the point of overcoming and doing what it is God's called you to do when everything else fails. So wherever you are, Mark's wrapping his story together to say, listen to what happens to Jairus' daughter and how faith is the answer. I'll give you some commonalities to this story if you like to do the research. Both of these stories come together. And why we call it this joining of stories is both of these stories entail females 
Both of the stories deal with the touching of Jesus to the people. Both of them are in a case in which they are known as daughter and called daughter. Both of them use 12 in Mark's account. One is age 12, and one has had the bleeding for, what, 12 years? They are all, in both stories, Jesus is met by rebukes. And in both cases, Jesus is becoming touched by the unclean, while he, in return, touches to make clean. And you begin to look at all these, and you begin to see these two stories that Mark has brought together, actual accounts of history. Please don't hear me say that these aren't true, but he's woven them together, even in the context of the Greek structure, to say, look what God is doing to conclude these issues we're having and how faith is the only answer. Listen to the story. It begins when this daughter comes to him and what faith actually does to us. I could give you all the little details, but you can read the story. It begins by realizing this. Faith is what brings us near. That's the point. Put that in your mind. Keep it. It is the faith that brings us near to God. You can see it in the very first part of the story with Jairus' daughter. You can also see it together in verse 27 when she is seeking him. It is the faith that brings us near whatever you're going through. He says this again, whether it's disaster, demons, disease, or death, the issues that we've been talking about, your faith is what brings you near to Jesus. Not the disease, not the demons, not the disaster, Those are things that we always talk about when things happen in people's life. We say, well, it was through this horrible trial that they were brought to Jesus. And folks, that's a wonderful way of creating the story, but events don't bring us to Jesus. What brings us to Jesus? Our faith. Yes, the circumstances are there, and yes, they're a part of it, but it's our faith that brings us near. You wonder why everybody that's facing trials don't come to Jesus. You know why? Not everybody has what? Faith. You see, we begin to see the reality of what Mark is saying to us, what separates us as children of God, what has allowed him to call us son earlier in one of his stories, and daughter now for the only time is he reaches out as children to simply say what separates us is faith. And if an event is used so that the faith is expounded on and brought to the surface and come forth, then that's what allows us to come near to Jesus. Parents, I would say to you, when events happen in your life, I know we want to jump in and solve them quickly. For those of you who are managing others around you, when crises arise, we solve them quickly. And sometimes what we don't realize is that event is not really the issue. The real issue is we're going to be dealing with someone's faith. And just what does that circumstance allow? So here, Jairus' daughter, listen to what it comes. It brings us, first of all, near to God. And listen to what happens. Not only does it bring us near, but it comes with hope. You can see that. He comes to Jesus falling down. This is like a deacon, folks, in the temple, okay? When he's coming, as Jairus, the servant of this. It's the one who's taking care of all the needs. He's not running the place. He's not over the place. He's the deacon. He's the one that serves everybody that comes in and gets things prepared and ready. And he sees Jesus and listen to what he says. He comes to him, falling down at his feet, pleading with him earnestly, come and just touch her, for you can make her well and help her live. There's an important part of this context here that you must understand. 
when it comes to dealing with this little girl and what it really means is she uses the word here about dying. He says, my daughter is dying. The word eschatosaki, which is the Greek word, is actually the word for eschatology, the things of the last times, the things that happen at the end and what is happening in her life. The word aki, what is taking place, what is happening is the Jairus runs to Jesus and he says, you're the only one that can help me because my daughter is facing the things at the last of her life. The end. He knew this was it. For those of you who've worked together with hospice, you know that hospice takes patients that are terminally what? You know, we don't know how long and we wait patiently, but as the process unfolds, they remind you it's only a matter of what? Time. And this was Jairus' daughter, Eskatasa Key. She's at the end of hospice care. She's at the end of the treatments that we've been able to help her with. There's nothing left for us to do to help her. She's at the last things of her life. And yet he comes because of his faith with hope. It's never too late. What Mark is bringing up again is whether it was through the storm, through the demons, through the animals around, through the disasters that are caused, it's never too late. Never give up hope. He runs to Jesus, falls down. It's never too late for Jesus to save somebody. It's never too late. For Jesus to restore somebody. It's never too late, he says to us, to find the help we need. It's no different in the story as if we do the analogy together with the woman who is there now coming to just touch Jesus. Do you see it again? It's the hope. It's not just that I can be near him. It's the hope that if I could just touch him, there's a magical element involved here. We don't want to say it's always pure because there was a lot of teachings in the New Testament that if you could just touch things or smell things or be around things, that healing could take place. But her faith was there to bring her near to Jesus and to give her hope not just to come near. Events are not just to bring us near to Jesus. They're to allow us to place our hope in Jesus. For many people come to church and still leave hopeless. Many people have come to your Bible studies and still left hopeless. Many people have been through diseases, the loss of spouses, and the ones they love, and still remain hopeless. There's something that changes with Mark, and he's like, there's this element called faith. It's this element that brings us near Jesus and creates this hope within us so that we can be healed. That's what it was for one, that we can be made well, that our life can be full, that our life can be renewed. That's the story of the woman that he interjects now between Jairus, which is going to be a big truth, and the lady who's coming for the healing. They both had faith. They both come in hope, and one comes to be healed when nobody else could heal her. Seven participles crying out constantly, having done this, having tried that, having spent. Folks, I've been there with those in the hospital who will tell you we have nothing left, Pastor. Nothing. We've tried it all. 
having tried everything the doctors have told us to do, having taken every medicine possible, having every surgeon that was willing, having every opportunity laid before us, and having spent every last dime, having mortgaged everything we own. I've tried it all. And I just need Jesus. I just need someone that really works, that really knows what it takes, that really understands what I'm going through. I need something more powerful than what this world has to offer. And she wants to be healed. Daughter, it's amazing when she touches. I won't spend the sermon on this, but it is amazing what Jesus actually gave up to be with us. We talk about him leaving the portals of heaven. We talk about him being part of the Trinity. We talk about all that he has in creation and all the power and providential care that he has and the omniscience that he knows all with God. And yet when he gave up the portals of heaven to come to earth, we get glimpses throughout the Gospels that he also gives up his omniscience. Later on, Mark will even say and records when Jesus says, I don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows that. And here in the midst of a crowd, Jesus turns, not playing tricks. And to show his true humanity and what he was willing to give up in order to be with us. Who just touched me? Who just had enough faith to come near me and place it all on me? Is that you? Or are you ready to give up? Ready to quit? Go another direction. You had enough. Tried it all. I wonder if Jesus is looking at you this morning in the eyes, waiting for you to confess like she did. I wonder if Jesus were to look at you this morning through the Holy Spirit and his power in your heart to simply look at you and say, who just touched me? As if he's pointing it right at you. As if he knows this is where the power just needs to be. This is the place it needs to go. And why is it that this is where it's at? Waiting for a response. Would you be like Peter and simply say, wasn't me, Lord, not me. I don't know who touched you. I'm not sure what happened. There's too many people around. I'm not sure what's going on. I would never do that to you, Jesus. Who just called on me? Oh, not me, Lord, not me. I would, I would never bother you at a time like this. Who just cried out to me? Oh, not me. I'm pretty settled, Father. I got it on my own. I'm doing well. Jesus is asking you, did you touch him? Did you reach out to him before you considered it all over and done? All of a sudden, we realize hope is, or faith is what brings us near, and he gives us hope, and it brings healing. But here's what's so important. 
It's faith that brings truth. When Jesus looks out to her, who touched me? Listen to what Mark says. He looked around to see the woman who had done this. He began to gaze at her, if you could use that expression. He looked intently to the one who did this. And the woman, fearing and trembling and aware of what had happened to her. If I could put myself in her shoes for a minute, how in the world did this happen? I can't believe it stopped. I don't feel this. I feel alive. All these whispers in her mind that nobody else would know about. I can't believe this. The doctors were wrong. It wasn't worth the money. My friends had lied. All it took was a touch. This can't be real. Can I be worth this much? And in one gaze, he looks out to her and listen to what it says. The woman fearing all this, aware of this, came and fell down before him and told him the what? The truth. You called on him. You cried out to him in need. And when he said to you, who's crying out to me? You avoided the truth. Well, I'm having some struggles, Lord. My family's not really going in the right direction. And things aren't really happening like I thought they were intended to be. I didn't plan it this way, Lord. It's not quite how I was wanting. And you avoid the truth. As if you knocked on God's heart and he replied and said, who's crying to me? Are you willing to give him the truth? It was me, Lord. I lied. I broke my vows. I did not tell it like it was. I intentionally tried to hurt them. I spoke as though I didn't. I played it off as though it was a joke. But the truth is, Lord, I'm wretched. I need help. I need you. And for the first time and only time, daughter, your faith has made you what? Wow. See, the power of the story wasn't in the fact that she worked her way all the way through. It wasn't in the fact that there was crowds and that she could hide it. It wasn't in the fact that she could touch the cloth of Jesus and things could change. There was nothing magical about the whole story. When we begin to look at how it all plays out, it's not in the touch, if you wish, that she did. It was not in the cloth that she got a hold of. What really healed her was it that it was her faith in who? In Jesus. I'm sure she reached out and touched the doctors if it was magical. I'm sure she reached out and touched some of the travelers with special potions and heal-alls. 
But when she touched Jesus, that's what made the difference. And I'm not sure what you're reaching out to grab this morning to try to solve all that you're going through. But your faith does no good if it doesn't bring you to touch Jesus. Because it's not the faith that does it. It's Jesus who does it. It's Jesus who heals you. It's Jesus who cleanses you. It's Jesus that changes things. And so all of a a sudden we realize in the story that we have people being brought near. We have this hope that is expounded on. And now we have a lady that is healed and the truth is out. But there's something greater than even that. And so all of a sudden Mark throws us back to the story of Jairus' daughter and says, oh, by the way, listen to what happened while he was still speaking. Now Jairus' servants show up and say, hey, your daughter's already dead. Quit bothering him. And here's what's amazing in the Greek. Were they talking to the actual servant out loud, quietly? We don't know. Because the word that is told here that we're given to, this proskomine that is here, is three times used throughout Scripture in different ways. It's used to ignore, to overhear, or to disregard and in this story, they come to Jairus and they say, hey, listen, Jairus, your, your daughter's already dead. Quit bothering him. And Jesus, which I don't think overheard, I think he was there because he was traveling with him. He was there. He'd already told him he would come with him. He already had the faith to fall down, ask Jesus to come and touch her. This isn't about his faith anymore. But I think the word is better translated. Jesus ignores what they said about it's not worth it. He didn't just overhear this, he ignored it and says, let's keep going and listen to what he says to Jairus. Do not be afraid, only what? Believe. You came to me in faith. Now, the word for believing, pastua, as you all know, is this infinitive that is an ongoing active thing. He could have translated it and said it this way, do not be afraid, just keep on believing. It is a verb. Pistua is a verb. It's an ongoing action. Faith is the concrete part. You know how they go together. Pistis is the noun, faith. Pistua is the verb. They're the same word. Just keep on faithing. You came to me in faith. Now keep on faithing. Don't listen to them that just because she's sleeping. And so we find the greatest miracle of all. Because just like he says to the woman who needed to be cured, your faith has made you well. Circle that word well. And in your margin, write your Greek in there and write the word sozine. Because that is the word in Greek for being saved. Your faith has not just made you well, but the word that is actually used is your faith has what? Saved you. And now we get Jairus' daughter where he shows up and the people are laughing and joking. I won't give you the whole story. These are hired servants to be at the funeral. It happens all the time. Go do your research. When someone dies and you need a funeral, you hire a bunch of wailers to come in. And they wail for you so that you can get busy doing what you need to do. And everybody else stands outside and wails and cries and puts on the party of all the sorrow that's going on. And Jesus confronts that and said, why are you making all this ruckus? She's only sleeping. 
And he walks inside, you see the story, and he reaches out to touch her. I say to you, come alive. Get up. And Mark ends the story so abruptly to say, your faith is what brings you near to God. It's our faith that brings us hope to find healing, to deal with truth. But most importantly, it's what brings us to life. No different than when he looked out and cried out to Lazarus, come forth. In the midst of our struggles, the glory of what Mark is writing to us is that this morning, if you would just place your faith in Jesus Christ, forget all else, but you can leave this place and have life. You can live again. Oh, we know it'll happen one day, and I know there'll be a spiritual resurrection. I know there'll be a bodily resurrection. And in this case, it was so hard to believe for even his disciples and the parents that they were astounded that what everybody else said was over. Jesus said, just get up. Let's go. And maybe this morning, Jesus is simply saying to you, keep on believing. You came to me in hope with faith, and don't you let others discourage just because of the things that are happening, what faith can do. Because it's the faith in Jesus Christ that will bring you resurrection life. I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. Mark's writing through whatever the issue and however the chaos exhorts you to come forth, however the crisis demands that you come, and he simply says, come and place your faith in Jesus and find life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that as we prepare to commune with you, we realize it's because we have life. We are sons and daughters. When the world says it's too late, you tell us to get up. When the world says there's nothing left, you give us hope. When the world says it's all over, you say one more time, just keep believing. Let the faith that brought you near me be the faith that is placed in me and be the faith that brings you it's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, if you're here visiting with us, worshiping with us, we encourage you to take with us. If you're a Christian, if you've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a firm believer, you confess before men, he'll confess you before the Father. The Bible makes it clear that if you're actively serving in a church, faithfully following him in discipleship, then you're allowed to be a part of the Lord's Supper. If you're here this morning and you've never made a profession of faith, you've never called out to Jesus Christ, 
and you've never trusted fully in him for salvation, then I would ask that you not take. I would ask that as the elements are passed, that you let them go by so that when the time comes, you're not confused into deceit, into thinking that by taking, you can be saved. This meal does not save us. It commemorates and is a symbol, a sacrament of mystery to strengthen us for those of us already saved. I'm gonna ask if the ushers would please come as we prepare. You'll see in your bulletin, there's a song we'll be singing together as we pass out the elements. But let me begin by just simply saying again, as you would take one of these elements, I would ask that you would please take one, hold it, and then we'll wait until we can take together. Go ahead. It begins in Corinthians before we sing together when Paul simply says, I received from the Lord which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's sing the first two stanzas together as we pass out the bread. continue to pray as we continue to pass out the elements. When they met, they had betrayed Jesus, many of them, and one of them actually looked at them and he said, it's the one who dips with me. And they began to think to themselves, it couldn't be I. It couldn't be I. I bet you that was a time when Jesus would say to them, who's lied to me? Who's going to tell the truth? But this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. Father, thank you for giving us your son, his body, for us, broken that we might have life. Forgive us of our sins, we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. In the same way as he did the bread, he passed out the cup. Here we have the cup shared together in trays. We ask that you take one and hold on to it until we can all take together. I'll read for a moment. Go ahead. Let me read from the passage first, and then we'll sing the next several stanzas together. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. In the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministries with this blood, realizing that without the shedding of blood, the earthly priest realized there would be no forgiveness of sins. Whatever your faith is in this morning, I would encourage you, it's not the faith that you have in general. For we place our faith in our works, we place our faith in our jobs, we place our faith in our families and in our friends. But the only time it really matters is when you place that faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the faith that changes you. It's Jesus Christ. Let's sing together the next two stanzas of Rock of Ages. the same way he took the covenant, the cup, and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the cleansing blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us as you look directly at us, as you look into our hearts. Bring out the truth. Help us to acknowledge our sins confess our sins, and trust completely 
in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me as we join together, you'll find in your hymn book a wonderful hymn. Gentlemen, I know you're in the choir out there singing loud. Help us out on this song. It's a wonderful song. It's called The Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And men, we need you to pull your strength on this part as we sing together. Let's sing together Wonderful Grace of Jesus.
good job, men and women. You did a great job. If you'll receive the wonderful benediction, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Have a great Lord's Day.